Thank you for joining us for another round presented by Imperial Beverage. This is episode two of The Oregon Tale with Jessica from the Northwest Wine Company, where we discuss all things Oregon wine. Enjoy. All right, where to go next? So I guess we kind of had that burgundy discussion. So I think, you know, hopefully, I, did I answer that question well enough? I, I mean, think so. I think that I think the one things you'll really see that if you want like standout personalities that'll come forward in those three regions, right? If we're talking about California versus Oregon versus Burgundy, Burgundy is always gonna is always gonna step forward with acid and minerality mm-hmm. in almost all the wines, and they're also going to be typically really young to drink upon release. So they need more aging time. Um, But I think in terms of like tension, vine age, complexity, you know, that the cooperage, all that expertise, I think Burgundy is exceptional. And the Pinots have a tendency to be slightly underripe or a little more acidic. They just need more time in the bottle. Oregon, I think, kind of sits in the middle of that where we have a lot of uh, fresh berry fruit, kind of crunchy, snappy, good acidity, but not, not as much minerality. I don't see as much of that. Um, we have a very unique component with more of a m- mushroom component from where we are. Um, a lot of tea leaf, uh, floral, and berry. I think that the we were truly trying to balance between that acid and, and alcohol fruit balance with that and keep it keep it right in the pocket. Um, usually, it's like ten you know ten months and thirty percent new French oak. That seems to be the magic number for a lot. And California, I think, gets riper, and so alcohol is going to be higher, acid's going to be lower, it'll be more generous in the mouth, a little bit more uh, full body, darker color, typically higher alcohol. Do you consider Rogue Valley to be more in that California realm? I know it's, you know, it's much flatter and warmer, and they get a lot more sunlight and less water. So yes. when you're talking about Oregon, are you kind of more specific towards that Willamette region and putting Rogue in kind of a California realm? Yeah, I would say like Rogue and Applegate and even like the northern parts where you've got Columbia Valley and, mm-hmm. and Walla Walla, they're really warm sites. I mean, they yeah. while that whole spot in the northern that Oregon has a lot of AVAs that straddle into other states. Right. So Columbia Valley and Walla Walla straddle other states, and they straddle Washington, which is in a really dry area that they irrigate from the Columbia River. It has to be irrigated. They get like eight inches of yeah. rainfall a year. Then you've got the Snake River AVA in Idaho, and that, that straddles Oregon and Idaho. And they're, I have no idea what they're growing out there yet, but okay. I'll bet it's... <laughs> I, say, I don't either. I don't know yet, but I think there's a lot more wine from Idaho than from the Oregon side. And then you've got hmm. the Rogue and the Applegate are on their own, Southern Oregon. And they do a lot more of the, like, Rhone varieties, yeah. right? I feel Rhone like you and, see and, and yeah, yeah, Syrah, stuff like that coming yeah. out of there. A lot of Abacella. Abacella does a lot of Tempranillo and things out of there. But it's a really cool site. Like, it's it's pretty exciting. I think, doesn't Forest have some stuff down there? Forest and Del Rio. And Del Rio yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, those are fun ones to check out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Quadi. Is, oh, Quadi North, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right just up the road. And, th- and so they all irrigate from the Rogue River. Right. So within Willamette, then, how mm-hmm. many sub-AVAs are there? As of this year, there's 11 nested AVAs. Okay. Yeah, there's 11 new ones. So the, um, the Willamette Valley AVA started, was established in 1983 and on its original you know, plot. And that's a federal land grant. It's a federal designation. So when you draw the lines, they are, they are drawn. They're permanently drawn for that AVA. Um, you can't really change them. No matter what, so the the as the different styles of Pinot Noir started to emerge, it was planted in different places. There was a distinctive personality 
that they could see in the geology and then resulting in the glass that were different from the neighbor down the way. And so it was basically like I think Ken Wright and Dave Adelsheim and Harry Peterson Nedry and probably I would I would be shocked if the Ponzi's and um, you know Erath and all of those original pioneers, the Campbells, all those stuff, all got together. They did all of their federal work that they had to designate each nested AVA, which there were six in the original, which was Shahala Mountains and Dundee, Yamhill Carlton, McMinnville, Yola Amity, and Ribbon Ridge. Those are the original six. They all did their work. They all got it done, and they so that no one would be first. They right. all submitted their six applications on the same day at That's the same cool. time together. The camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that you get that as it, much in other yeah. areas. Like, it's such yeah. like an emerging wine mm-hmm. region thing, To You have to work together to get yourself on the map. You have to have that, you know, like me elevating my wine helps you elevate your wine and like together if we make Oregon wine something that people really stick to it helps us both shared success yeah yeah I I mean the the start of it was in the you know it was like in the mid 60s and so that was a very communal living kind of time and people wanted to plant things they wanted to grow things and so if you look at like all the pictures of the original families which are so fun they're all like you know and head you know big beards and they look like us now they look real hip like <laughs> super hipster you know but they were doing it and planting stuff and and at the same time they didn't have any money and they were having kids right and so they just did things together they they celebrated together they ate together they took care of each other and what's shocking to me is like how how much foresight they had about being really insulative of this area, how special they thought it was. You know, they passed Senate Bill 100 in like 77, which helped to push, um, make sure that agricultural land stayed designated for agriculture. Had they not done that, the Willamette Valley vineyards would be, you know, all these different wineries would be surrounded by condos. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, it's, and there's still pushback on that. They also fought to to, um, self- designate the most strict uh, labeling laws in the country. You know, right, the Oregon Promise. The Oregon Promise, yeah. yeah. And it's I mean it started way early. It was basically they sell they self-regulated themselves. And mm-hmm. so like for instance, like if a bottle of wine says Oregon, it has to 100% come from the state of Oregon. Um Every, is it varietal too? If you have Pinot Noir, it has to be 100 percent Pinot Noir. We tried that. We okay. tried that. Yeah. So so we started with that the the 100 percent rule from Oregon is one part, and then in terms of varietal, it has to be 90 percent okay. of that varietal, and then you have 10 percent of something else. The rest of the country. The highest is 85 or 75. 25. 75 mostly, right? Yeah, but 75 in a couple AVAs. No, in the, in the Lamma Valley, it's ninety and ten, and we tried That's to pu- cool. push for a hundred percent. We were pushing for a hundred percent varietal on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, which is kind of what we do anyway. I mean, I don't really know anybody who's doing a lot of blending, but the pushback was, you can't single out those two varieties as being more important than the others. Yeah. So if it it's got to be like one all for one or one for all, and the the sticking point is Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris gets a bit of blending here and there just to sort of balance it out and so it didn't pass so we're we're still the highest 90 it has to be 90 percent variety and then you have 10 percent of something else and then in terms of AVA if it says in the larger AVA it has to be 95 percent from that AVA 
and the rest of the country is 85 percent that's where my 85 mm-hmm. came from thank you mm-hmm. absolutely so that was about the, in the vineyard how it's like okay this is our pinot block and then there's always a couple shards in there like oops a conversion got planted in mm-hmm. the pinot block and so it usually just gets like thrown in so it's never going to be 100 percent yeah it's always <laughs> like well there might have been like 20 clusters of converts that got in there yeah pinot like i love a good field blend yeah. Yeah. like i'm not here to complain yeah. like <laughs> you're mid-harvest like just send it it's fine <laughs> it's mostly pinot <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. it's really cool. But they they did it together and they they pushed it forward as a team. And um, they were really very kind of um, what do you want to call it? Like it's just someone who's like a seer, like um, he's like a famous person that would see the future. Nostradamus. They kind of had like a, a Nostradamus Bowie. sort of. Do you see <laughs> Bowie? <laughs> like David Bowie. <laughs> they David Bowie the shit out of the vineyards. <laughs> Back in the early days, you know, but they they really did. It was like they had a lot of foresight, and it's kind of shocking. Like you look at the laws that they put down, you're like, why the hell? Where the fuck did you come with this? You yeah, know? but it so works. It so works, and they they're still they're still together. You know, they're all still friends, and they started the International Pinot Noir Celebration. They inflicted a self tax of twenty five dollars a ton that started the Oregon mm-hmm. Wine Board that funded research. And um, so that we had climate, climatological and geologic research that went through the colleges in our area. So it's a lot of th- a lot of thinkers where we're from. Yeah, yeah vineyard wise. For the subavies, when you are presenting mm. uh, to the board with like we want to split this up even more, how like how do you? I mean, soil types is easy to prove. How do you do the um, proving of in the glass it being different? Do you mm. like present them? Is there, are I've there never people done. tasting? Because I want that job if there yeah. is. But. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to leave. <laughs> yeah. That's a good. I would absolutely leave for that job. <laughs> the only one, though, Joe. <laughs> it's a good question. I've never done that work. But I, I know that they have to show a typicity of place. Mm-hmm. So there has to be, I think, multiple vintages from multiple producers that show this sort of, not a hard line, but like I think a real characteristic line that can be derived. So we really have three major soil types that we work with in the Willamette Valley. And because it's young, like I was saying, it was originally was like lots of tectonic shift. And then there was all this, you know, tectonic shift creates enormous amount of pressure that um, has tends to tickle volcanoes and make them (laughs) active. And um, in this case, yeah, just the tickling of the volcano, little nudge. Um, uh, to the point that, you know, the, the northern part of Oregon and southern part of Washington was covered in volcanic, you know, um, lava at one point. And I think about soils in a vineyard or anywhere, almost like a layer cake baked by a toddler, you know, like mm-hmm. they are not even layers. And so some areas the cake is really heavy and some spots the icing is really thick. And so if you look at where that is, there's just it creates a diversity in that. And then, and then we have erosion, <laughs> you know, and then we have all these other factors that come in for millions of years of activity. So marine sediments were all of the, the plate material that was underwater that kind of got pushed together and rumpled up and created a new coastline and a new mountain range called the Coast Range. It's all marine sediment. And then the volcanic activity that kind of piled and cricked and cracked and all over the place and that created this volcanic soil and then you have windblown soils that are left over from the ravages of the last ice age that they 
the wind starts to blow and all you've got is this like dust everywhere. The dust packs down on stuff that has height mm -hmm. on both sides. And now you've got a third soil, which is windblown. So those between those three soil types, what we found is that typically the Pinot Noir that grows out of it has meh, some pinpoint, like I'm saying, broad brush strokes here, but have some typicity. So marine sediments being the oldest have a tendency to have really purple black fruit aromatically more purple flowers and violets, more clove, sarsaparilla, like cola notes. And is this like a Yamhill? Yeah, Yamhill okay. Carlton, parts of Yola Amity, parts of Van Duzer, parts of McMinnville, and I definitely think of Yola River Ridge. Is volcanic. It's a hot Yola it? is a hodgepodge. There's okay. a lot of volcanic there though. Okay. There's a lot. So um, those would be the AVAs that I would really look at. Really the really main ones, Yamhill Carlton, Ribbon Ridge, parts of Yola and parts of Van Duzer. And then there's a new one called Mount Pisgah Polk County. That's, I think, is all marine sediment, I think. I think. Okay. Teeny tiny. So there you have a tendency that that's the profile is this like purple fruited, purple aromatics, this sort of, um, you know, clove and cola notes. What's underneath that is this really generous mouthfeel. There we have really big texture. The tannins are, if I think about tech, tech, tannins and shapes, these would be rounded. They're very round, spherical sort of tannin. They're lush. They're full-bodied. They're kind of voluptuous wines. I used to always kind of say these are kind of Marilyn Monroe-shaped wines. They have cur curvature to them. Um, but they're generous, and the acidity is a little bit lower. Volcanic soils, to me, are framed like a ballerina. Like, they're very lithe. They're very aerodynamic. They're, they have a lot of long, clean lines to them. So volcanic soils go more into red fruits and red floral. So I get lots of mm -hmm. anywhere from fresh rose petal to potpourri on the nose, more cayenne, pepper, cinnamon, allspice, those kind of red baking spices, cherry, pomegranate, strawberry, cranberry, things that are red fruited, but also really high in acid as well. And so they have this really, the, the tannin shape to me would be triangular. Acids are brighter. They have a lot of, they're a little bit juicy and a little bit earthy, but they have frame and tension. They really hold a very strict line. And so to me, they're leaner. They're, they're just more sculpted in terms of that. And then the, the windblown soils or where you have a lot of wind, where you have a lot of wind in an area, what the plant will do naturally, biologically, is when the wind starts to blow really hard, it closes everything up so it doesn't dehydrate. It's trying to protect itself. So it closes up the stomata on the leaves, and then the, the skins will then toughen up. They'll darken and toughen in order, they get thicker in order to protect the seeds, the very precious seeds inside. So what the resulting part of that is that Pinot Noir with thicker skins that have a longer hang time because they've stopped working in order to not dehydrate, you have a little bit longer development Windblown areas typically, broad strokes, um, will have typically blacker fruit or more blue fruited. So blueberry, acai, plum skin, um, fig, those kind of components. Um, but they have a really underlying muscularity to them. They're like, they're athletic. So they have a lot bigger musculature to them. They're more, um, they, they're more athletic in shape, but full. They have a really interesting sort of dusty note on the tannin. It almost reminds me of like espresso foam on some levels. And then also it has like, they just have a, li a little bit more structure in terms of the tannins are square to me. 
That's how I interpret them. <laughs> they're kind of square and blocked. That was going to be my guess after your description. Yeah. I just want you to know. Right? They're the kind of, they have a more of a square, <laughs> a square shape to them. They're full. Every, every angle is covered. Um, but they have a lot about, it's all about structure and power, um, but still have incredible amount of acidity. Just because they have a lot of tannin doesn't mean they don't have breathtaking acidity. They're really mysterious in the glass. And what are those sub-AVAs? So I would look at that. I would say Yola Amity is one of those. McMinnville, although the, the wind on top sort of shapes and amplifies the soil underneath. Sure. If that makes sense. And then definitely the new AVAs with Tualatin Hills and Laurelwood. Those are part of the five new ones that have come up within the last 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I think we're all learning a lot. I, it's yeah, a lot of information, so and I'm smart. sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> just, I was like, we have to get her on the podcast. She's, too, she's got too much to share. I can't, can't keep it all to myself. Well, and when you're talking about the soil types, like, I think it's really cool. The, my first time out in Willamette was in 2018, mm-hmm. and we were driving up this hill, and it's like you see, you see the color shift in the soil. It's like, oh. Mm-hmm. You can't have a better understanding than literally visually seeing, like, the soil is white here. That's the marine sediment. Oh, wait, there it's red. Now now we're getting into the volcanics. Volcanics, So it's really interesting. You can literally see it driving down the street. So it's very easy to to absorb that information Mm -hmm. when you have that visual right in front of your eyes, right? Well, I think that's where we have an opportunity is to get as many people to Oregon and to Willamette Valley as possible. I mean, it, it... it's one of the most unique places I've ever been. So I think we, we also throw great parties in Oregon. <laughs> like, it's a really well, I think good place to have a party. I think all happy to join. <laughs> yeah, like you should. Parties. We throw really good parties in Oregon. <laughs> um, but part of it is, you know, is about having this, like, really rich agricultural area. We're, so, we're an hour from the ocean. We're an hour from the mountain. We're an hour from the farms where our food is grown. We're right on the river. I mean, and an hour from Portland. And an, and an hour from <laughs> Portland. And it's like, you know, we, we have a lot of access in terms of it's a very robust place to, to live because everything's grown within almost 100 miles of where, you know, you're consuming something within 100 miles of where it was grown or harvested. So a lot of people talk about if it grows together, it goes together. I think you might have even said mm-hmm. that today in your presentation. Mm-hmm. And that's how always how I kind of um, understood wine when, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a strong restaurant background, right? Um, let's talk about what else grows. Like you and I, you've already kind of referenced it with the mushroom, but you and I kind of had that yeah. that moment um, last summer in Oregon when we were talking about it. So if you could kind of talk a little bit about... Yeah, the influences. Yeah. yeah. So Please. so we're, you know, we're, we're really close to the Pacific Ocean, very, very cold ocean. So we have a lot of Dungeness crab, a lot of oysters, a lot of clams, razor clams, and a lot of really good fresh uh, seafood. A lot of, there's a lot of private fishing boats. That bleeds into our river system, which there's the Willamette actually means Valley of Rivers in Kalapuyan, who's our the native people that were there before us. And there's, you know, between Oregon and Washington is the Columbia River, and it conver- it converges with the Willamette River, which then goes north to south. So loaded with salmon and sturgeon and lots of fresh seafood. That's a, a lots of fly fishing in our area, a lot of trout and um, and bass. That's really cool. And then where the Willamette Valley is, the lower part of the valley is really planted with mostly hazelnuts, which we locally call filberts. We're the, the largest producer of hazelnuts in the country. And that's really on the valley floor. It absorbs all that nutrition that runs downhill 
the hazelnuts scoop that up. We also have an enormous amount of grass seed, so all of your favorite country clubs and golf courses are probably peppered with Willamette Valley grass seed. Um, and then the top part of the elevation would be uh, Christmas trees. So most of the Christmas trees in the country come from our, a lot of them come from our neck of the woods. And then in between is, is the viticulture. So we have a lot of game there, pheasant, duck, a lot of deer, and and then we're kind of in the berry belt. So, you know, cranberries, cherries. We also have a lot of tree fruit. We don't grow citrus there. It's oh, too, the blackberries is the first thing that comes to mind. Blackberries, huckleberries, cherries, um, apricots, absolutely. A lot mm-hmm. of tree and stone fruit. Um, kind of a mecca for apples and pears as well. And... Um, and then we have a lot of just uh, then we have a lot of mushrooms and and we get 40 inches of rainfall a year in the Willamette Valley, which is an enormous amount for wine regions. However, and it and it rains from October to May, <laughs> which is a long time. It's dry. It's it's wet and it's gray from October to May, and then it completely yeah. dries up <laughs> from May to October, and it's like Mediterranean climate, olives and. You name it. We grow an enormous amount of produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, like, inside that little region, we have a, a huge mushroom culture. It's actually embedded in everything that has a root system in our area. I think Avatar was based on it. <laughs> like, it was on this, like, big working fungal network underneath the soil that we have. So we have lots of chanterelle, morel, porcini. Um, I'm trying to think what else is out there. Lobster mushrooms. And then matsutake. So we grow a lot of mushrooms out there. So I think about all of those components, all those things that go, they all grow together and they go together, which applies thankfully to a lot of different kinds of food. Yeah. It's great. It's cool to hear you talk about all the different like ag, because it's so similar to Michigan ag Mm -hmm. as far as It really is. It is. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the differences in our soil type, especially on the western side of the state, it's so sandy. It's like the whole thing is sand. Interesting. And so you do get, like we have, um, I think we have like pretty acidic soils on the, for like the rest of the state, if you go further east, because that's where we do a lot of the pines as well. I know they yeah. like prefer acidic soils. Yeah. But really when you look at how's the summer different and what is the elevation difference and the proximity to, you know, Lake Michigan does mm-hmm. not maintain the same sort of uh what's the word for like change throughout the, the year the di- well diurnal would be day to, day to right. night yeah. but you mean like you're talking about more right. seasonal shift season yeah, yeah. right but yeah. I mean when you look at the difference between um, that is so interesting and it, it makes a, a big point too I mean this would like circle us all the way back but when people talk about oh we're on the 45th parallel it's like that is the bare minimum that we need to talk <laughs> about like <laughs> the very bare minimum yeah. and I think that um yeah, it's just cool to when you're looking at mm-hmm. all of these different regions, knowing that all of that goes into play, especially with grapes, because it's like, you know, we know that Michigan cherries taste better than Oregon cherries, but <laughs> <laughs> but when you had, you, you know what, I haven't had a lot of Michigan cherries making out my way yet. So yeah. <laughs> like we've, we've got a challenge. We have a, cher- a cherry, we have a cherry get, challenge. I can at least get you some Traverse City dried tart cherries. <laughs> For sure. I, can, I don't know how the I fresh do, fruit would go for yeah. you, but mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. we'll get you back in the summer. We can do that. For, for we should do well to do a cherry trade off. I love yeah. that. But <laughs> the difference between like the the vit and the wines that come out of each region mm-hmm. when you're looking at you know our agriculture is very similar, but the flavor profile in very it is different. so different. And I think that wine's probably the best way to view that because mm-hmm. you're seeing everything, you know, 
not distilled, but like fermented down into its most prominent and aromatic form, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. Well, I think there's probably there's probably a lot of crossover too about like there's actual real people behind those wineries in Michigan yeah. that are working their ass off um, to do something that they love, and and I feel like the same things about Oregon. Like yeah. the, you go into a winery and you're like, this person is working their ass off to do what they dream, and and I think that we have a lot of synergy in that. We also have a lot of grapes in common. You know, I think what yeah. is really encouraging about being here all week was showing Gewurztraminer and Riesling and. And having people that were like, oh, yeah, my people will understand this. We grow we grow Riesling and Gewurz here, you yeah. know. And it was like, yes. Right, yeah. Our, yeah. our consumers know how to, what they're looking yeah, they for and it. how to pronounce it. They get it. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a step ahead. It's right? huge. <laughs> huge. Yep. Thank you for listening to Episode 2 of The Oregon Tale with Jessica from the Northwest Wine Company. Join us next week for another round presented by Imperial Beverage for Episode 3. Until then... Cheers. Cheers.